I think the more we get coaches that have the background, coaches that have played, coaches that um, are exposed to, you know, now having an MLS club here, now having to, uh, a men's D1 program with St. Thomas, I think we're, we're moving in the right direction. And, you know, I think the future is better than it's ever been. We're more diverse than any other community or country. And once our coaches are rooted in really sound fundamentals and philosophies, the game will never be the same. I guarantee you Americans will change the way soccer is played at some point. I don't know when, but at some point we will, because that's what we do. Boom. Just drop the mic on that one. <laughs> Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota. We're going to be talking soccer, talking life, playing games, playing mind games. we got a little something for you. If you haven't yet, throw us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Footy Fellas Pod, F-O-O-T-Y, Fellas Pod, YouTube, at Footy Fellas Pod. You're not only going to hear from us on this podcast, but you're also going to hear from our high school coaches. That really, that really takes us back, what, 30, 40 years to high school? Gents? Back back in the dinosaur age. Ice used to ride, a, used to ride a, a Mastodon to school, right? That was the name for my bicycle. Sure was. Unicycle, actually. I'm a big unicycler. I'm sure your coach talked about that. That's super impressive. Yeah, you know, it, it, the balance crossed between my sports. It, it was a great... Great bicycle, the man, Mantador, the Jones Mastodon. The Mastodon. Mastodon. Yeah. Did anyone, for Sears, did anyone ever actually, uh, completely related and pertinent to this conversation, did anyone uh, actually like ski to school? Was that a thing in Minnesota? Anyone ever like cross country skied their way over? No, not daily or anything, but there were times when we'd have big snow days and school would still be happening because that's what we had to go through, endure. Back then, big snow days, people would kind of show off or brag about, yes, skiing far. There, there was actually a time, switch seasons, where a couple people canoed over to school. Now, bizarre because, gr- granted, we're the, the state of 10,000, you know, land of 10,000 lakes, whatever. You have a lot of lakes in, in the city, and we have this, you know, connection of lakes, and they canoed but then they had to portage the gosh darn canoe you know like a mile to where our school is like our school is not super close to the lake but yeah i mean that's a workout you, you do get some yeah, of the no, some of the hardos that you know will will like to brag about their trips to school just like there's a line for picking up your kids and the cars snake around the block in every other state you're telling me there's just a line in the lake and everyone's canoes is tip to tip <laughs> waiting for their kids that's what you're telling me Teacher, teacher, the guys in the other canoe were so slow. <laughs> That's why I was like, teacher, my, my canoe flipped. My homework <laughs> fell to the bottom. Yeah, my homework's soggy and wet. It's all damp. Teach, I can't hand it in. Oh, we were delayed. Beavers really were blocking up the, the river this time. Oh, no. I was thinking, I thought you were going the route of they're literally in the pickup line. There's I was. people in their people in their canoes and on the asphalt. 
and there's people like just just like grinding there. Can <laughs> you forward? Just kind of pushing it there, and everyone's like, oh, "God, Minnesota, we just can't figure it out." It <laughs> takes so long here. Once we figure out the canoe part of this year, oh, it's winter. Now we got to go with the snow. Gosh darn it! Then everyone's got their skis and snowboards. There, I did a rod. There, there you don't even need a backpack if you can strap all your books to a snowboard. Let's go back. Let's go back to um, our our episode today. So we are talking to. Our high school coaches. However, slight caveat, coach while in high school, uh, we talked, Greg was my club coach during my, during a year of high school. So how did you develop as a soccer player? I see both in your high school and club worlds. I was, uh, I would say I, I progressed nicely uh technically i got a lot better under this coach greg in particular you'll hear um he has a brazilian background very skilled and he focused a lot on possession during practices and and just the ball at your feet quick decision making all that stuff and this was during my junior year when i had just made the varsity team and it actually worked out really well you know we made it to state and i was playing starting over some seniors uh, for that last game, a couple of games that we played at, at the state tournament. So, uh, you know, everything kind of meshed well that year. Uh, but, um, but yeah, no, I thought, I thought it progressed uh, quite well. And technically I got, I got a lot better. How about in Connecticut? In Connecticut and Zenio, who I chatted with, uh, brought a lot to our program when I was going into high school because he joined the same year that I joined when I was a freshman in high school and that was his first year as a young head coach. And he brought a real philosophy to this smaller private school program who previously nothing against the coaches, but it wasn't soccer minded coaches. It was either teachers or folks that were helping out and coaching multiple sports. So it was a huge change obviously. And that brought my love for the game back. Cause I had stopped playing between sixth and eighth grade in middle school outside of school. I was playing for the school team, but it, was playing baseball and some other sports outside of school more seriously. And it definitely brought my love for the game back and it made us much better as a team, which was more fun. You'll hear from the interview when we were just chatting our discussion that he cared and we cared about making it a brotherhood and we we're doing team dinners and FIFA Fridays and all that kind of stuff, which is great. Cause what else are you doing in high school anyways, that's worth doing outside of school. So that was awesome. And that was probably my peak in terms of soccer dominance, just because we were this smaller private school and I could do what I wanted with the ball. And we had a nice little team. Whereas in college, I was lucky enough to find my, to kind of change my play style a bit and move from midfield to center back. And I was not as technically gifted or as skilled or quick or, or physically as strong as a lot of the players, but I was a good communicator and could direct the team well from the back and had a good game knowledge so that's how my play style kind of changed. I went from dominating games and scoring goals and getting assists to playing more of a role player leadership role in the team. And that was where my, my place was. Lovely. Lovely. You, Jones, last? Um, let's see. High school. Um, high school was a was an interesting time period, I'd say. At, you know, at school and for club. Um I was uh, very different environments, I suppose. High school was very much uh, low pressure, 
not a lot of, not a lot of the other kids really had aspirations for playing in college. So, um, you know, it was guys who were playing a little more casually. And, uh, and so it was, um, it was a fun environment for me to explore and just do what I wanted to do, I guess, in some ways, whereas, um, club soccer was very intense and freshman and sophomore year playing with older, bigger guys was tough. And, um, and then just having to learn just by being thrown in the deep end, how to, how to, how to swim. But end of the day, I thought, um, high school soccer, I learned a lot about leadership and how to, um, help, um, help manage a team and, um, expectations and, and play styles. And then club soccer was how to, how to hone your abilities a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm eager, I'm eager to hear what, what you guys had from your experiences. It sounds like two really, um, formative and influential and caring individuals. Um, excited. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to mention that I know it's so different from from your guys' experiences between club and high school, but my situation was a little unique in the fact that I played club with so many of the high school guys I played with. So the 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 go between between the two was there wasn't this huge drop off like you explained, Jones, where super competitive at the club level versus kind of a drop off when you came for high school a little bit with your you know with your teammates. But, you know, I'm playing with the same guys over and over again. Yes, club competition was more competitive, better players. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting and I think nice. I think I think it's I think it would have been tough uh, in your experience where you've got um, two very different types of teammates, I would I would say. It's much harder when everyone isn't playing together in the off season more. So everyone isn't even playing in the off season. 75% of the kids probably aren't playing in the off season, except for the couple of kids that are playing more seriously, including us three. And so that part's tough, but there's something nice about having different groups. Maybe it's just, you get to know more people when you're growing up and playing sports, but it's nice that there's the high school crowd in my, in my personal experience. I found it nice that I had the high school crowd who we spent plenty of time with also just going to school. And then the club guys, when we were traveling for tournaments, that, that sort of thing, you at least get some of the off the field time there. Cause I, I could see it both ways. It makes sense that you get much closer. I'm sure on the field, everyone is better together. You know, each other, know each other's play styles and how you like to play together. But I could also see it potentially if you get sick of the guys. I don't know. There's a, there was definitely a funny balance um, I think we could probably reflect on this maybe more about, about college too, but there's definitely a, a huge difference between guys that your relationship is solely based on the soccer. And so um, 90% of the time that you ever hang out with them is in that context or at a tournament, right? But not actually socially for other stuff. Um, and so when you compete on the field, it, it, it was fun. It's an interesting relationship, but the, the ones you have on the high school team, that's so special where you're playing for more than just a random club. You're, you're playing for each other and your school and all that stuff. So there's a, there's some fun bonds in there. Yeah, um, absolutely. All the more deep, deeper, yep. deeper. Our, deep. Yeah. I remember our senior year, one of the best coaches, he was an assistant coach. We had our dynamic also on, at the coaching level. We had a head coach and two assistant coaches and the assistant coaches really did a lot for our team. They led practice, you know, the head coach would kind of tell them what to do, but they led, our practices and we're really nice guys, um, different, different styles, but we respected them and, you know, they respected us. They're really tough. But, um, 
one of them at the end of our senior season before everything was over, you know, he sat us down. He's like, look, guys, you, you know, long season, you guys know each other. You've built a nice relationship with each other. Like, enjoy it. Live in the moment because after this, I guarantee you guys are not going to see each other a lot after, especially as seniors, you know. It's going to be the last time, you know, you're going to be hanging out with XYZ person because this is what brings you together, you know, outside of that. As you said, Jones, like our relationship is based around soccer. So, and when he made us think about it, it's like, dang, you know, like I'm not going to really ever see communicate too much with, with these guys here because we never cross paths besides this, the soccer team. Yeah. So it, it was, it was a nice moment to, to think about it and, and, you know, enjoy the, the last games of the season of the year. Just going to communicate in your love for the game and your soccer dreams. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we're going to get into those chats with our coaches. Hopefully it's fun for all of you as listeners to hear a little bit, both more personally from us, uh, what our high school experience was like and what our high school coaches were like, and also just their takes on youth development, rounding out this month, this topic that we focused on and had Tim, who's coaching in Spain to speak on, which was awesome. Uh, and we're going to move into talking more about MLS next month as that ramps up. So we'll get into those discussions in a second. Just like last week, going to hit quickly on the Champions League scores. Any takes from you guys? I'll just read out the scores in case anyone missed these games. First legs of the round of 16. Chelsea beat Atletico 1-0. Bayern beat Lazio 4-1. Madrid beat Atalanta 1-0. And Man City beat Mönchengladbach 2-0. So no ties, just wins. Mostly the bigger teams coming out on top. Yeah, I think I think of those scores of the four you, you listed, big result for Chelsea against Atletico Madrid. Uh, Atletico, I have to do a quick check, but you know they're very competitive this year in La Liga. And to see Chelsea that has struggled pull out a win against, against a very good side, that's good for them and their morale. Atletico goes, goes far every Champions League. They're a huge team. They're not some smaller name, even though they don't get put up there with the Real Madrid's, Bayern's, Man City always. They always are in the last eight of the Champions League. So that's huge to get a first leg result if they can hold on, especially as they're seesawing in the Premier League, figuring it out. Yup. Very talented Olivier Giroud bicycle goal. That's true. That was you know, sp- that man, that man. To me, he seems like he's this, oftentimes this, um, called him a mannequin this morning when I saw him on the ground crying. What was, what's a better <laughs> word for it though? Like a porcelain dish. Like this dude, granted he is a hundred years old, but you know, he gets, you know, he, okay. So he did fall into a goalpost today and he was crying about it. It's like, dude, like you're a world-class athlete get up. <laughs> I don't know. I just hate when he cries so much, but then he pulls these bicycle kicks out of nowhere. And it's like, come on, man. And then you're the one shedding the tear. I'm, I'm crying over here. <laughs> Without further ado, we'll jump into our first chat with Nzenio. This was Eli's high school soccer coach. And this is Eli speaking. He has been a soccer coach for about 16 years. He's coached at the high school and travel academy levels Grew up and coached playing ball in Connecticut, where I'm from. And his first year, like I mentioned, coaching the high school team was my freshman year. So 
we did have all four years together and it was really exciting to be a part of him reshaping the program philosophy and personality, bringing his own personality, creating this brotherhood and strong team bonds that everyone felt and built on and just had a lot of fun with, really enjoyed life and enjoyed playing on the team together. So here's Nzenia on youth development and coaching. All right, first, first, before we get into the youth development, we told each other that we would ask our coaches to evaluate our own game in high school, just as a, you know, to really open up to our viewers, let them know all of our listeners exactly what we were like. So I need you to wax poetic on my game for like 15, 20 seconds back in high school. All right, sure. So should I start with the fact that you were a scholar All-American? <laughs> Say that for the end, really hit it home. <laughs> Yeah, let's start there. Um, and then as a freshman, you came in as the smartest kid on the field. You know, you, you played with composure. You were smooth on the ball, never, never forced the play or, or rushed it. You had this composure about you that allowed you to play mature beyond your years. Uh, and then, you know, watching you, I think watching you as an individual is one thing, but then watching you how, how you impacted the players around you was was probably the biggest differentiator in your game. You helped everyone around you get better, uh, and that's rare in in players in the high school age. Um, you know, you were able to think beyond yourself. You were able to be considerate of others and uh, be courageous when you needed to. Um, so, for me as a coach, I loved working with you. It was like having another coach on the field. Appreciate that. Yeah, I told the other guys they were in for it because you were going to be really nice to me. So I'm hoping my coaches <laughs> will uh, do the same. That's very kind of you. And I remember when you came in as well, it was such a good, it was like the perfect relationship because you were just starting out in your coaching career and you were able to relate to the guys so well and connect with everyone and start to implement this philosophy that you believed in. Can you touch for a sec on what your soccer philosophy was then when you started and whether it's changed at all since then? Well, um, yeah, I, I guess my philosophy then was, uh, was definitely different than it is now. Um, I, I didn't even know if I had a defined philosophy. I, I was really running off of what I learned from, from Jay Segovia and Anthony Wilshaw. Um, you know, it, it was ball-based, small ball, let the ball do the work. Uh, those are sort of the three key fundamentals, um, triangulation on the pitch. And, you know, I think learning to play as a unit, uh, was, was the overall goal. Um, and I think we did a fairly decent job of, of implementing that because, uh, everything we did in training was, was like small games that basically condensed the space time continuum. Right. And it forced you guys to learn how to make decisions repeatedly at your free will. And you were rewarded for making good decisions and always penalized for making bad decisions, not by me, but by the game itself. And like, I think that that is the quintessential part of my philosophy. It's it's the game is the teacher. It teaches me, it teaches you, it teaches the fans. Because high school soccer, everyone's rotating through similar to college, everyone's rotating through every three, four years, it felt like it took the at least two to three years from when you came and started to implement that, which wasn't being used at all before 
I joined and you joined the same year when I was a freshman. And the next generation, at least from talking to you after I graduated, the next generation of ballers that, you know, were three, four years after me, they came into a system that had that belief to move the ball, pass the ball, you know, shift in a, let's be a unit defensively. I remember all those practices with like the block of eight, block of eight, like let's move, react, all that stuff. Um, Did it feel more natural when that next group came in? They like immediately saw it playing out. Um, Yeah, I think, I think, well, part of it was, was, you know, when we won the championship, it it made everybody a believer, right? You hold the trophy at the end of the year and you're doing something right. Um, So that made it a big difference, I think. But uh, having players that had had sort of having four years of players that had always been playing in this same system definitely made it easier uh, to implement some of the more complex strategies, Um, some of the dynamic movements off the ball, some of the interchanges, the rotational play um, that we couldn't do really in the first two years. But from there on, uh, once we had a full team that understood the concepts, it became much, much easier to implement. Yeah. Do you think it's much different implementing a style in high school soccer versus travel and club soccer? Yeah. Um, I would say so. So in a high school season, you have, you know, 18 players to 22 players all coming from different clubs, you know, or, and some don't even play year round. Right. So the culture that you get in a high school environment, um, is sort of piecemealed and you've got to do your best to sort of be a melting pot and bring everybody together. Whereas in a club, you can have players from when they're young all the way through to an older age and you're working with them year round. If I have 10 months to work with a team, I can really build that cohesive unit. Uh, trying to take you know 20 players from six different environments in two months into a cohesive unit uh, is a very different equation. I think that's why we did so much off the field stuff. You know, the pasta parties, the FIFA Fridays, like those are the things that helped you guys bond and establish that social connection that I think translates really well to the field. That was huge. Yeah, undoubtedly the brotherhood, which is what you brought in that feeling. It was the FIFA Fridays and the pasta dinners and everyone hanging out with each other, whether they wanted to or not. And usually we wanted to because it's high school. It's like, what else are you doing? Uh, So that was great. Shifting gears a little bit. What do you think is the most important skill for a younger player to develop if they want to continue playing and growing in their career? My, okay, so maybe I'm, I'm not the right person to interview on this because I'm, I'm going to give you answers that maybe don't. That's all right. No, it's, it's the real boxes. stuff. But like for me, I think the most important thing at all for a player to develop is joy. You know, love the game. Go and play. Go and have fun. Don't worry about your technique. It'll develop. The more time you spend with the ball, it develops. Those little fine-tuning moments, you'll develop later on. But, like, as a kid, play and have fun. That's it. That's that's everything. Do you think the role of a coach, in your eyes, goes beyond just coaching on the field, especially in the high school environment? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I know for me when I was growing up, it was my club coach when I was in high school. That was the guy I went to when I had any issues that I was dealing with. Right. Like he was the one adult I could have an open conversation with 
and get feedback and not feel a sense of judgment or whatever. And I, I think that's that impacted me as a young man and has carried forward throughout my life. Um, and I, I try, I do my best. I try to be that person for the other players because that's honestly, those are the things you'll most likely remember down the road. It's totally true. Yeah. You're so good at bringing life lessons into practice. I've, I think some of the practices and moments I remember most were just like us chatting as a team about stuff or me and you joking around about something that was a very real life experience versus, you know, we, we won some games, we won a trophy, which was awesome. Uh, but that's the connection that, that lasts and all of the charity off the field stuff you, you pushed us and you continue to push the team to do a lot of great volunteer work and, and care about causes off the field, which is huge. Yeah. Well, like that, that for me is, is less about what we're doing and, and more about um, recognizing how powerful people can be no matter how old they are. Right. Like, as a child, I, or as a kid, I used to think that someday, one day I could do or be whatever, you know, was at the time. And, um, I think as adults, whether as a coach or as just like a general adult, our number one priority should be teaching the youth that they can make a difference today. It doesn't need to be someday in the future. Everything's possible for you here and now. Just step out, take action, follow your dreams. Follow your dreams. Well said. Now, here we are. This is my dream to have a massively <laughs> successful podcast with millions of listeners. So we're, we're on the way. <laughs> first couple steps in a long mile, my G. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. First couple steps. What do you, you've touched on different pieces already, but what's your favorite part about coaching soccer? Honestly, my favorite part is learning. I feel like I, every time I step on the field, no matter who I'm around, there's something to be learned if I'm willing to listen, if I'm willing to be open to it. So like my favorite part about soccer is it actually challenges me to shed my ego, shed my own beliefs, shed my own thoughts and be open. Not only for myself, but for the people around me. Yeah. Yeah. It changes for both the players and the coach, I guess any sport, but we know soccer best and that experience it changes you as a person probably more than anything else off the pitch because you got to figure out so much about yourself and working in this group, especially as a coach leading this group. Like, what does that look like to you? How are you going to lead? How are you going to connect? Uh, yeah. It's a really, it seems like a really impactful role. Yeah. And, and I find that it's, it's less about asking that question and just knowing that it will happen. And it's just being a stand for people. Like, there's nothing more incredible for me, at least as a coach, is watching somebody who's not sure that they can score the goal or make the pass or make the cut or whatever it is. To, and watching them transform into somebody who can be courageous and confident. Like that transformation going from caterpillar to butterfly is like nothing else on earth. It's the same person, but they are being something completely new best experience in the world yeah that's and hey now you got a kid that's like every day you gotta <laughs> them do something else versus you just get to hang out with them at practice it's like over what i've learned is it's not as easy at six o'clock at six thirty. <laughs> you know i'm like oh possibility you can be great <laughs> <laughs> in your dreams now you're just that's like you're sleepwalking around like be, be great follow your dreams you know that's it's funny. I, I, every morning when I when I change my uh, 
my daughter's uh, diaper or her night diaper. Um, we wake up and I'm talking to her. I always ask her about her dreams. And then uh, I always ha have her affirm three separate things that every day she's becoming smarter, every day she becomes stronger, and every day she becomes more beautiful. And uh, it's amazing because I've been saying it since she was like one week old. And now she says it on her own. And it's so cool to see her take that in. Like it's taking root. I know those seeds, seeds will bear fruit in the future. And uh, it's cool because like I'm doing it with my daughter, but like I've learned how to do that with all the players I've coached over the last 16, 17 years. You know, it's it's remarkable. Do you still jump into practices? Are you still able to uh, to play with the high school boys or has the level finally overtaken you? No, you know, like I was definitely getting too fat to jump in for a bit. Uh, I, during COVID, I lost like uh, 40 pounds. So wow. difference. Uh, and then I could start moving around, but I, I've uh, pulled my muscle a couple of times. So I, uh, I just need to take better care of myself. I think better hydration will go a long way. But my hopes are I can play with the boys until I'm 75. You know, be that you're, you're totally going to be that old guy. That's like, hey, it's almost like one of the Uncle Drew commercials. You're like, hey, mind if I step in, you know, at the, at the uh, Scalzi or one of the parks and then you just cross everybody up. Putting in a tackle or something. No, yeah, I, I honestly, like I said, I, the game just brings so much joy. So, like, I want that in my life for as long as I can have it. Do you have a game that's your favorite from your playing career? When you talked about playing abroad, I don't know if we ever really talked about your your playing internationally at any point. I'm curious if you have a favorite memory or or time span experience. So I I, I think it was the Gothia Cup. Uh, that that was one of my favorite sort of durations in Europe. Uh, I don't know. I was probably like 13, maybe 14. I was playing on a U18 team and um, competing in the Gothia Cup and everybody was just so much bigger and stronger than I was. It was like David versus Goliath, you know? <laughs> and uh, I just, I remember those moments because there were, there were times where I was, you know, facing an opposition that was, as I said, bigger and stronger, but my intelligence allowed me to create opportunities and have shots and, you know, ask questions of the defense. Um, and it, it, it was, it was, I guess, I don't know, if, I, I wouldn't call it an epiphany because I think I was too young to appreciate the moment. But at looking back and reflecting, those were the types of times in my life where I got to recognize um, that experience doesn't always make you better. Right? Size doesn't make you better. Strength doesn't make you better. It's, can you think? Can you see what's next? Where's the space? How do you play off of it? That type of stuff is just like mind bending because you start thinking of second and third consequences at a very young age. And if you can master that skill set, you can be very successful in any endeavor, right? Because you're thinking a couple steps ahead, just like in chess. Yeah, as you're, you're speaking to that, and jumping back to the question of like, what's the most important skill to develop? It's some of those intangibles that, because everyone will develop the dribbling, the passing, the shooting, you'll do the same drills in practice, and you'll get to a certain level, maybe some slightly better than others. But what can take you from like here to a, you know, all the way up top exponential growth is one or two of those small things like your first touch, if you can just 
somehow drill it into your brain that your first touch needs to be away from pressure and you get your body to start doing that more naturally, that's massive. Yeah, yeah. Being able to buy a little bit of time and space goes a long way, right? It doesn't take much. Did you ever have a coach that you, or now have a coach where you're like, I want to model myself after this soccer coach? Um, I don't know if there's anybody that I say I want to be 100% like um, because then it doesn't offer you the, the freedom to express yourself. Um, but yeah, there's obviously managers that I, I love. Like I, I, I love Pep. I love what he does. I love Klopp. But I love them for two very different reasons, right? Like Klopp has this way with his players where it's like he's constantly encouraging them. He plants the seed for their greatness. Pep is a little bit more, at least in my opinion, a little bit more meticulous and, and tactical in, in the way he approaches things. And so um, they're both exceptional soccer minds, but have very different approaches. You look at someone like Bielsa, I mean, tactical genius, right? But like, as a player, would I like to play for him? Maybe not. Like, he's very rough on his players. And it's sometimes you can have a great manager and a great player and they'll produce shit soccer because they don't have the same mentality or the same type of character chemistry, you know? Um, so I, I think there are moments in, in managers careers that I really, really love and appreciate. Um, Brendan Rogers is one of those managers that I really love and appreciate and watching him go through the different clubs. Um, because he sort of has a really nice balance He's probably the one manager, If to answer your question directly, he's, he's the one manager that I would like to emulate the most because I think he has the balance of the tactical prowess and the ability to encourage and develop um, not only players, but human beings. You know what I mean? Like he helps. I, you're looking at what Leicester's doing this season. They should not be where they are given the amount of talent they've sold off over the years. They're there because he's getting them to play as a cohesive unit. He believes in them and makes sure that they believe in themselves. He's such an underrated manager. Yeah. What do you, he, cause he was doing that in the, uh, what the Scottish premier league beforehand. And then also back at Liverpool year, you know, a couple years and ago, he's just moved. Again, team to like, team. If Gerard doesn't slip, Brendan Rogers is, is, you know, labeled a genius and one of the best managers in the world, but he slips and they don't win. And then that's it. He almost went into like the oblivion of, of, you know, the soccer world. Yeah. yeah. I can't tell you how many of my friends, Julian, I hope you're listening. <laughs> of Brendan Rogers because he couldn't hack it. And I'm like, what, what do you mean, dude? Like he did everything right. And sometimes a player slips. <laughs> you can't prepare for that. Like it's just, that's the game. That's why we love it so much. It's so unpredictable. That's true other coaches that would be listening to this would even if they haven't articulated that for themselves they'd find that really connective because i feel like you just hit on the like the crux of why coaches love being coaches is that feeling that realization that you know those emotions when they're going through that kind of thing that's so tough to articulate but i'm sure every coach would be like yeah man that Zenio from connecticut who's coaching <laughs> high school soccer private high school soccer he gets it you know <laughs> i don't know man i don't know um, I tell you one thing I am really excited about though. So I, a, I just got my C license, which isn't saying much, but finally got that. Uh, but I've been doing these, uh, these Barcelona courses online. Yeah. We're talking about that. I, I, I truly love the education I'm getting from them, but I'm hoping to get into the master's program. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be me going to Barcelona once a month for two years to study and learn. And, and obviously you come back and you do your field work or homework. Like to be an American doing that as a kid, that was virtually impossible, you know, but now it's becoming possible. Like you see Jesse Marsh coaching in Europe now, like for me, that's a bigger moment than having players play in Europe. I think, you know, Serginho Des playing at, at Barca or McKenney starting in the midfield for Juve, like, by the way, that's, not, <laughs> right? Like, those are huge moments in soccer. But what's probably bigger and not being talked about as much as it should be is someone like Jesse Marsh breaking into the European world and being a head coach. Like, that is the game changer. Because it shows that an American with the philosophy, the understanding of the game can lead a team. Yeah, that. And I also believe that it's it's uh, it's sort of, I don't know if it's a leading indicator, but it's an early indicator of what's to come to our shores. Right. Like American coaches may go over there, get educated and then come back. Mm. And then we can really start farming this this nutritious soil we have. Because we have some of the most fertile, nutritious soccer grounds in the world. We're more diverse than any other community or country. And once our coaches are rooted in really sound fundamentals and philosophies, the game will never be the same. I guarantee you Americans will change the way soccer is played at some point. I don't know when, but at some point we will. Cause that's what we do. Boom. Just drop the like <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Beautiful. That is part one out of two. And now here's icy speaking with his club soccer coach, Greg. All right. So today I am joined by Greg Wheaton, uh, an old coach of mine. I would say I played the best. I had the best technical skill of my soccer career under Greg. So he he's a great coach. Had him uh, over a decade ago, actually. 2010 was the last time Greg was my coach at Minneapolis United. He's been with Minneapolis United as a, as a soccer club for, for many years. And yeah, he's been a staple of my soccer youth. And so today, Greg and I are going to chat about youth development and, you know, his thoughts on it, how it's changing, how his thoughts have changed and, and, uh, you know, the Minneapolis soccer scene. So welcome, Greg. Thanks, Max. Uh, it's great to be here and be able to share with everyone about soccer, uh, which is a passion of mine. Um, it's fun also to see Max, a former player of mine, doing something like this and influencing the game. So that's pretty cool. A little bit of uh, background, um, I'm originally from Brazil. That's where I grew up, uh, as everybody knows, the place of the beautiful game. Um, and that's kind of where I developed my love and my passion for the game and also understanding the importance of development, uh, being through it myself in a country that does it a little different than most. Um, so, you know, uh, currently um, and have been the coach at University of Northwestern in Roseville. Um, uh, so uh, been there for about 20 years. So on the college scene as well. And then currently the coaching director at Shakopee Soccer and been with them for about five years, but been in the Twin Cities, uh, formerly played with the Minnesota Thunder, 
um, and just been around soccer for probably the last 22 years in, in the cities and just fun to be part of it and continue to see it grow and develop. Absolutely. I, as a, as a young soccer player, you were one of the coaches that the passion for soccer was just there. It was palpable. You loved having the ball at your feet. I, I can't remember when, when you were my coach that you didn't have a ball at your feet. You always wanted to hop in and play. And I think that's just really important for young players. Uh, a coach very, very much willing to, to participate and play with the players and, and always show off. You know, I felt like you were always uh, picking little competitions, whether, whether it be juggling, dribbling, uh, teaching us new tricks. So I think, I think that's great. Do you still do, you still do that today? Always ball at yeah, your feet? So, yeah, I would say, you know, as you get older, you have less opportunities to do that. But as much as I can still do that, right? My whole objective is inspire and show kids what they can accomplish. That's the key there. Now, I remember our 2010 season. <laughs> do you remember much about that season? The big thing that stood out to me when we played was our winter. We'd always have, you know, the winter season. Basically, we'd play yep. seven, eight games in the uh, Augsburg Dome when it was freezing. And I remember we only won maybe one game out of these eight eight games uh, that we played. And we had a very eclectic team. And it was, it was it, you know, I think we were all a little pessimistic about the season um, just because we did not perform very well. Everyone was so new to each other. Um, so I'm thinking back, we had some great talent. Obviously, we turned it around. We actually tied for first in the Premier League that that season in the spring, which was fantastic. I think I think we caught a lot of other teams off guard <laughs> by doing so well. It, do you remember much about that season and and how you approached it, given we had such a rough winter stretch of games? Yeah, no, I remember pretty 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 well. You know, it was a, a group of guys that we had come together. You know, kind of uh, a, a new team had some old players, but some new players. And I felt that, you know, the winter was a process, right? We needed to see where we're at. We needed to see what we needed to do to kind of get to us uh, to the level that I wanted us to be at. So even though it was kind of a difficult winter, I also felt it was part of the process of us getting better because it gave us the information we needed to have and also built kind of the core where we needed to go. So, yes, I, I do remember it well. And, and again, I think part of the process is sometimes seeing where you're at and finding a way to get the players to play well together and understand the process of what we're trying to do and play a style that we want to play. And so it was, it was, I, th I thought it was one of our best seasons because, you know, we, we had to work through a lot of difficult situations, but we came together and played a great brand of soccer. And most importantly, I think the guys really enjoyed being together and uh, being part of a team. And, you know, when you can accomplish something, I think it does a lot for your development on, in the game, but also as a person. Definitely. And I, you know, it, it definitely felt good. I'm sure it felt great as a coach, also for a player to have some adversity on the team, have some struggle and then, and then come out of that struggle on top. Uh, I know that felt really good as a player. And, you know, we had a couple of players on that team. We had, you know, Evan Pankin, Rami Al-Rashidi at forward, Mikey, Ben Baki, Nathan Devon, um, Ilonge. And, you know, we had, you had, right, like you mentioned, a couple of these Minneapolis United guys who I've played with for ages. And, and then um, you, we had a couple of new guys coming from from all over. And we had a very eclectic, you know, Jordan was on that team and Jordan was kind of the comedic relief, 
I felt like for a lot of uh, the team, kind of a good balance between Evan <laughs> on the team who uh, tension tensions could get high, right? When we uh, were practice or, or a game, which I mean, you know, to be fair, it's, it's, it's still good to have a player like that on the team that can, that can push us. But in your experience, how did this team compare to, to other teams you've coached in terms of, I still want to use that word eclectic. It was just such a, everyone was seen very different, not super different. We all love the game, but you know, Rami had a different personality. Evan was, was a little you know, aggressive, maybe hotheaded at times. Jordan, the comedic relief did that. How different was, was this group of guys compared to most teams you've coached? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously some of my previous teams and then my, my teams after that, you know, obviously as a coach, you know, you, you try to, you know, put together a team that you feel is going to be able to accomplish the goals, one that they want, but also that you as a coach can provide. So it was, it was challenging in that aspect because it was a team that before was pretty consistent. And then obviously with the changes that, that happened, you know, we brought in a lot of different personalities, different kind of types of players. And so it, it was one of those things as, you know, I think a lot of coaches want to have the perfect scenario where they get to pick the players, they get to uh, form those players and they get to develop those players and kind of find what they want. But I also think it's a great opportunity as a coach where you need to learn to, you know, deal with the situation. And I think you grow as a coach. And I think it also provides an opportunity for you to develop those players for them to grow as, uh, as, you know, obviously players, but also person. So, you know, ideally it's, it's best you kind of find a group that's consistent on the same page and has kind of the same chemistry um, but when it's not, I think that's also a great opportunity, especially in youth, to kind of show what can be done when kids come together and you kind of focus on the same goals. What would you say to the audience today about your soccer philosophy? What is your soccer philosophy and have your thoughts changed, you know, over these last 10 years uh, that you've been coaching or have they more or less stayed the same? Yep. Um, you know, I'd say the core has always stayed the same. Obviously, I think as you progress as a coach, some things change because you develop as a coach and you develop your leadership and things like that. But my overall philosophy, I think, would be the same, you know, and, and obviously it's different at different ages. You know, I work with kids from literally seven years old all the way up to the college level and even kind of semi-pro um, level. So it, you know, it changes a, a little bit. But I think the core for me has always been you know, show what soccer can provide and, and first strong technically. The younger kids understand the importance of being technical and the importance of being comfortable on the ball. That just provides the foundation. And I kind of use a, you know, probably not the bad example, but I use, you know, house is built by the basement first, right? And the same thing in soccer. If we can build the foundation in the basement of your skills, no pun intended there, um, I, I think you're going to be better off. You're going to enjoy the game more. You're going to have more passion for that. But I think one is being strong technically. Two is the love and the passion for the game. Once you develop love and passion, I think coaches are key to that. Then I think kids pick it up and really want to go with it. And then I think the sky's the limit when it comes to kids, when you provide that love and that passion. So to me, it's really create that love, that passion, and also understand that the game provides so many opportunities to develop in life as well. So I'd say that philosophy has always been the same. I can definitely uh, agree with, or I can attest to your determination and philosophy of, of techni technicality for players. The other thing was, I remember in our youth um, with um, Zafer, the, the Turkish coach uh, back in Minneapolis United, I remember there was a big, there was a big uh, question of, 
do you look for speed in youth or do you look for technicality? It does in your mind, is there, do you, when you see youth players, is one, does one, is one more important than the other? Can, you know, if someone has speed, can you just teach them technicality later on? Is it harder to teach speed? How do you view the, those two characters? Yeah, I, I think they're, you know, depending on where you're going with your team, but let's just, you know, for you, for example, you're looking to develop a pretty strong team. I think athleticism is key first, right? Um, at a young age, because the more athletic you are, I, I can't teach athleticism, right? Um, obviously you can work on some aspects, but you're kind of born with that gift. God gives you that gift, right? Yeah. Um, so finding athletes is always really, really important. And then from there, getting those athletes to understand the technical part. And I think that's a big, big mistake. A lot of times we look for athletes, but yet we don't develop the technical side. And then that player doesn't reach his full potential. Now saying that, I mean, when they're young, sometimes it's hard to know what a kid's going to turn out to be an athlete at a U7, a U8, you know. So I, th I think it's a process, right? But I think athleticism is is key if you want to develop into you know, your full potential. But if you're not the most athletic player, soccer still provides opportunities if you're technically sound and you can read the game, you can play quicker. Um, so I, I think they're very key. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we look for athletic players, but we don't develop that technical side. And other times we look for technical players that maybe don't have athleticism, right? Um, and again, things change. You know, a kid at seven may not be the most athletic, but come to be 13, 14, he may be more athletic. Yet you have a kid at seven or eight that's built and bigger than everybody else that's super athletic. But kind of as time goes on, you know, um, that, that changes. And he's not the best player or the most athletic anymore. I think that's really key that you always develop the foundation, no matter the athleticism, no matter the player, because in the end, that player is going to enjoy the game more uh, and is going to be able to reach his full potential. A lot of times we skip some of those pieces one way or the other. And I think it, it hurts. So I think they're both very, very important. Yeah. And I, I can't pass up this opportunity to ask this question. Do you think that that is a, an issue across the board with soccer in the United States? Is it that we, I mean, it, it's a multifaceted question, but in, in terms of this specific point, do you think it's commonplace, more common in the U.S. than other very good soccer countries that we are focused on maybe athleticism and forget to build the base, the foundation, the basement, as you're mentioning? Yeah, um, you know, I think it's improving, right? I still think we still have a lot of coaches that do that because, um, you know, the result of having to win becomes key. And then a lot of times we bypass, you know, the important development pieces. But it's definitely gotten better. There's no doubt about it. I think we're seeing more and more coaches that understand that. I think you know you get more and more teams that are trying to do the right thing. So I think it's improved. Um, you know, obviously speaking in Minnesota, we, we've developed some good players, um, you know, in the last few years. So I, I think, you know, we, we definitely are behind a lot of places, but I think we're making progress. Obviously, we always want that progress to be faster. But I think the more we get coaches that have the background, coaches that have played, coaches that um, – are exposed to you know now having an MLS club here now having to uh, a men's D1 program with St. Thomas I think we're, we're moving in the right direction and you know I think the future is better than it's ever been because we're getting more and more people in the community that um, have that experience and can do that yeah absolutely I agree and, and I think it, it does help when a lot of international or folks with international experience or exposure come into the country and help and you know you being born in brazil where the beautiful game is played 
um, who have such a dominant and rich history in soccer that I think you bring a level of uh, experience and exposure and, and technical abilities that that perhaps you know a Minnesota born native who may not uh, introduce to kids at a young age. So I think that's that's very important as well. Next question would be. How difficult is it to implement a style of play at the club and college level in your mind? Yep. I mean, that's, it really kind of depends on the level you're at, right? Um, I think if you have a style that you want to implement, right? And why is, what's the reasoning behind that? If it's at the youth, you know, what are you trying to get out of that? But I think it really kind of comes down to one. If, if you have that vision, you have that idea, you want to look for those types of players, right? Let's say at a, at a tryout or at, you know, kids that are coming in and practicing with you, you're trying to find that, um, that type of player. So I think at, at the youth level, it can be done. Um, you know, uh, fortunately, I was able to do it with, you know, the Jedi and then I was able to do it with the group of girls um, that I had after that, the Inferno with, with MU. Um, and we were able to play a style. We were able to develop the players, you know. Um, and so I think it can be done. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of uh, intentional pieces. It's hard, especially nowadays with kids having so many options to go to different clubs, you know, and maybe not happy when we don't get the results you want. Uh, but it can be done. And I think a lot of coaches are trying to do it. But it is also difficult at times due to all the different circumstances uh, with the different clubs, the different ideas, the different visions, you know, with players hopping clubs because they're just moving to the next best thing. So I think that makes it more difficult than it was before. Um, but I think it can be done at the college level. You know, um, I can speak of my experience. It really depends on what school you're at and what opportunities you have. You know, my college team probably doesn't play the brand of soccer that I like to play sometimes because those are limited by the players that I'm able to get into my program. Um, and that as a coach, you have to be able to adapt to that. Um, but depends on what level of college, you know, if you're at a D1 program where you have, you know, the scholarships and you have the pool that you have, I, I think it's definitely doable. And you've seen a lot of schools do that, you know, on the women's side, as well as the men's side, you know, take a Stanford, take a Creighton on the boys side or, or other programs, they've done it, you know, so I, I think it really comes down to the coach and his ability to bring players in that he sees are important to fit that style he wants that he can be successful at. Now, is this Inferno team that you mentioned, the 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 girls team that you coached, was that the team with Charlotte Devon? Yep, that was the team. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, they were an uh, amazing team from what I heard from Nathan and then also from Charlotte. So with that team in particular, having so much success with them and, you know, I think a handful of those players, you know, Charlotte is playing at Brown University. I think others went to play other very high levels of soccer. Do, does your role go beyond just teaching the game? It has that has that changed as, you know, maybe social media comes into the picture a bit more? Yeah, I definitely think if you're in coaching, you need to understand that it's more about the wins and the losses all the time. It's about the kid and what your impact is on that kid's life, right? I, I think we're role models. We're examples. We're also people that kids look up to. So definitely, um, I, I think your role as a coach is really to guide, help players develop on the field, but also, also off the field, I think are really, really key. And I think nowadays that's even more important is having somebody that these kids can look up to and having, you know, competition brings out the best and the worst in players um, and people, right? And as a coach, if you can guide kids through that, you're developing their future to what they're going to deal with in life. So I think as a coach, you do way more than, and you should do way more than just worry about, you know, the X's and the O's and the wins and the losses. Couldn't agree more. Um, 
and I felt like you were a great coach at doing that. So, so I, I do want to, I'll give you the shout out. I thank you for, um, it, it was great playing, playing with you and playing with all the other talented coaching at the Minneapolis United. It was, it, it, I think we were very lucky as a youth to have that youth club uh, around for, for us. So that was fantastic. No, I appreciate that. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's always great to see, you know, that we're able to be a positive influence on people like yourself. All right, Greg, uh, I've got one, la- one last question for you. Um, and it is, what is your favorite part about coaching soccer? You know, there's, there's a lot of pieces. Obviously, at the youth level, it's one just seeing a kid smile when he's able to do something, learns a move or scores a goal. It's like, hey, we worked on that. Coach, look what I did. I mean, that to me just brings such a joy, you know, um, and then just see the kids develop, you know, and kind of tell you what they're doing and kind of their excitement, you know. So I love that piece. I mean, I'm, I'm a coach that I'm happy coaching a seven-year-old as much as I'm happy coaching a 19, 20-year-old kid in college. And the college level, I think it's it's also seeing kids overcome difficulties, see kids kind of, you know, um, have success um, when things don't go well and just really kind of now as young men really kind of take the game and use that game to to develop their personal growth, you know, to become better men. And I always tell my players at the college level, when you leave my program, I want you to become a better player. I want you to understand the game, but I want you to be be a better husband, be a better, you know, uh, worker, be a better boss someday because you've taken the, the, the examples that you've learned, uh, through the game and the gift that uh, I always tell people it's a gift, you know, especially with this pandemic, you know, we, we were able to play this last fall and I said, God gave you a gift, use it to, to reach other people, to help other people grow and develop. And I think when you understand that and kids understand that I get excited and it's fun to have, you know, uh, players come back, you know, from the college level and say, hey, coach, thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for what you did for us. And that's really what we're there. We're we're there to help people um, and do what we love and, and spread that passion, that love. So that to me is what gets me excited. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I thank, I thank you and I thank, thank all the other coaching staff um, over the years. But I really appreciate you spending the time, Greg, this morning to to talk with me. I think, I think, your coaching expertise and years of experience um, are fantastic and you really shed some light. And I think, I think listeners will really enjoy this. Well, thank you, Max. It's, I mean, you're a living example of why we do what we do, right? Um, now you're here giving back to the community, giving back to soccer. And you always had a great smile and always had a drive to get better. And it's just fun seeing that kind of and what you're doing. So thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the listeners for taking the time to listen to us. Truly insightful content there from both Enzenio and Greg. Thank you very much to both of them for hopping on. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. And hopefully you've taken away as much as we have from this conversation. Until next week, adieu. Love you. See you next week. I love this combo because I want to create a vehicle that's canoe based with wheels for the spring, summer, and then it's got ski, ski type contraptions for the winter.